Welcome to the Rock of Grace Warren podcast. I want to thank you for joining us. I hope this message inspires you. I hope it builds your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Amen. So we are wrapping up our series called Connected Forever. And I've enjoyed getting to share this series with you. I hope you've enjoyed listening to it. And if you haven't, you can lie to me because it makes me feel good. And I don't, uh, I, I don't mind getting to feel good. So, uh, but we've been in this series now for, this is the fourth week, but uh, just to give you a quick recap of the last several weeks. So the first week we started together and we talked about this idea of uh, who is my neighbor, that God has called me to reach somebody, to be in community with somebody. And that actually may mean your physical neighbor next door, whether you like them or don't like them, whether they put up a large fence because they didn't want to see your yard or you put up a fence because you didn't want to see their yard, no matter what it looks like, no matter if they mow their lawn like a golf course and you have weeds everywhere like my house. Um, <laughs> oh, that neighbor, he gets me. But uh, that God has called us to reach somebody and it's usually the people that are in our circle of influence, that our coworkers, our family members, the people that live next door. We talked about how loving people, although it's messy, is worth the risk, and that God has called us to be a part of a community. You know, uh, the former pastor I used to work for used to use this illustration of a belly button. Uh, he said, you came into the world connected, and you uh, are called to be connected. And so I just leave that with you. The second week we talked about being connected through our marriage and our family. And we, we talked about this idea that marriage is not a commitment of two people, but rather a covenant of three. Uh, and then we talked through the top eight things I've learned since being married. And I, t- I told you that I don't have a top 10 list yet because I don't think I've been married long enough to find 10 things I've learned. I'm sure they exist. Uh, but the idea is that as we grow in the community, into the relationships, the family and the spouse situation, that we would continue to get better at those things. And last week, if you were here, you caught it online. Uh, We had a pretty powerful service. We talked about how God has connected us to our enemies, not to cause us pain or to cause us hurt, but rather uh, to, to bring us to the place of reconciliation. And we talked about how that big ball that you may have caught on the, on the video or saw here live, uh, that big ball is, is symbolic of our emotions, the things we're dealing with, the things that have happened to us, the pain, the hurt, the suffering, all those things. And the problem is, is if we don't deal with them, if we don't let them go, they become a hindrance to the other relationships in our life because we take them with us. But the idea that forgiveness is an is a, a open prison cell that sets you free, we're regardless of what the other person is doing. And so this morning, I want to move into this idea, this this final message called Connected to the Church. Connected to the Church. And I'm excited to share this with you because I got something cool I'm going to talk with you about and show you some pictures of at the end of the service. But here's the deal. I will tell you this morning that I love the church. I know that, you know, when, when you say that now, living in 2022, that kind of gets mixed reviews because, you know, the church is very far from perfect and people make mistakes. And, you know, I'm sure if we, if we delved deeper into it, we would all discover that someone somewhere along the way in church has maybe said something, done something to hurt us or separate us. Or, you know, maybe you had a bad experience in your life regarding the church. And I completely understand that today, just from my perspective and my story this morning, it was the church 
the people of God, the family of God that was so instrumental in my salvation experience. I'll tell you, I got saved in a church. I got baptized, baptized in the Holy Spirit. I just grew up loving the church. And I grew up loving the church without a family that went to church. I got saved when I was 10. And my family's always been kind of a morally good family. We, we weren't bad people. They aren't bad people. But we just weren't churchgoers. And my sister had gotten saved. Uh, my siblings are nine years older than me. They're uh, twins, and they got saved. And uh, for whatever reason, my sister got stuck taking her 10-year-old brother to church with her on a Wednesday night to youth group. And I will tell you that that was back in the day. This was back in the 90s when uh, youth groups set apart. So the guys sat on one side, and the girls sat on the other. I guess that was their way to make sure nobody had children in church. <laughs> Just say, so I get there and uh, I didn't know anybody. I was 10 years old. I probably wasn't old enough to be in there, but the youth pastor was super nice and my sister had brought me. So little brother was tagging along. So I sat the first night in youth group. I remember it still to this day. I was wearing a Cleveland Browns t-shirt. Yes, still losing and <laughs> some, and some khaki shorts. And uh, I sat on the side with all the girls. That's right. I was, I was, I was, you know, desirable even back then. You're welcome. Thank you. And I sat there, and I remember sitting there, and I had really never been in church at any point in my life other than maybe an occasional VBS that was more of a babysitter than it was a, a church experience. And, you know, we'd gone to some weddings. There's portions of my family that are Catholic, so we went to some weddings at Catholic churches that lasted way too long. And being a 10-year-old boy, trying to sit through those, I guarantee I remember nothing from them other than when is it going to be over and when can we eat the chicken that comes at the reception because that seems to be the primary source of food at receptions. And I remember sitting there and never really experiencing church and not really knowing what to do. And uh, the youth pastor had preached a message, can't remember anything about it. All I can remember is he gave a salvation call. And without realizing what I was doing, I raised my hand. And I was naive enough at that age to believe that when, everybody, when the youth pastor, the pastor says every head bowed and every eye closed, that people actually did that. But you know there's those people that are like, you know, they got that one eye open. They're like, all right, yeah, I'll do it. And then I'm looking around to see. And so I, I bowed my head, closed my eyes, I raised my hand. And he's like, no one's looking around. Come up here and let's, let's pray together. So I come up there and I kneel down and I give my heart to Christ. And I'm praying. I'm like, all right, no one's looking. This is like this moment, right? And I, I get done and I look and like the whole youth group is like looking at me. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a memory that I have and I still think about often. But that was the day I gave my heart to Christ and started kind of learning about what it meant to, to be a follower of Jesus. So if I tell you this morning, I love the church, it's because the church became a family to me. Um, at times when I didn't have a, a strong sense of family, my parents divorced, my father was an alcoholic, so he wasn't part of my life. So it was the men at the church I grew up at, or I, I attended from the time I was 10 until I moved away at 22, uh, that, that became those kind of father figures to me. I got saved at Warren First Assembly, in case you didn't know. But I love the church, and it's one of my favorite things. I think one of the reasons I love the church is because anything can happen at church. I want to read a couple stories to you this morning. Recently, a large seminar was held for ministers in training, right? Uh, among the guests were many well-known motivational speakers. One such, uh, one such boldly approached the pulpit and gathering the entire crowd's attention said, the best years of my life were spent in the arms of a woman that wasn't my wife. Right? The crowd was shocked 
as we all should be, he followed up by saying, and that woman was my mother. Yeah, right? Yeah, where's your mind? No, I'm just kidding. The crowd burst into laughter, and he gave his speech, which went over well. About a week later, one of the assistant ministers who had attended the seminar decided to use that joke in what was his first sermon to the new congregation. Yes, I think some of us may see where this is going. As he shyly approached the pulpit one Sunday, he tried to rehearse the joke in his head. He was notably very nervous in getting to the microphone. He said loudly, the greatest years of my life were spent in the arms of another woman that was not my wife. His congregation was shocked. After standing there for almost 10 seconds, the pastor finally blurted out, and I can't remember who she was. <laughs> Anything could happen at church. Let me give you one more this morning. After church, Johnny tells his parents he has to go and talk to the minister right away. They agree, and the pastor greets the family. Pastor, Johnny says, I heard you say today that our bodies came from the dust. That's right, Johnny, I did, he says. And I heard you say that when we die, our bodies go back to dust. Yes, I'm glad you were listening, the pastor replied. Why do you ask? Well, you better come over to our house right away and look under my bed, because there's someone either coming or going. <laughs> Again, anything can happen to church. This is why I did with youth ministry and not kids ministry, because you have no idea what they're going to say or do. I love kids. Well, I do, I do love the idea of kids ministry because unknowingly, kids will tell you all the things going on in, in their life uh, and in your life and in the life of all the people that they're connected to, thinking that it's a prayer request. And really what they're doing is they're telling on you and gossiping. And it helps us know how to pray. <laughs> But on a more serious note this morning, I want to read you one more story. It's Colombian author Gabriel Garcia Marquez. He wrote this book, well-known book titled 100 Years of Solitude. And the, story, the book tells of a village with contagious amnesia. Forget the, identity, uh, they, forget the identity of various objects. That's what they would do. And this is what it says, that to limit the damage, they put signs up. This is A, and there was a blank, and they would have all of these signs all over their community that would help them remember who this was or what was going on or, you know, what was this business or all of those things. The name of this village was Macondo. They even put up a sign that says, God exists. And the author of this book goes on to conclude this story with this, with this phrase or with this, with this, I guess, sobering statement. He says, I fear that the church is in danger of just such forgetting. And it's an interesting story because if you think about it, you wouldn't expect, you know, the Christian or the church to eliminate or even dilute God and the reality of God. But if you look at the state of the church in America, you see it all of the time. And I'm not here to bash the church this morning. Remember, I love the church. What I'm wanting to do this morning is help us understand that there is a purposefulness to the church and to our life as part of a church. And, and for the sake of our conversation for the next little while, I want you to understand that when I speak of the church, I'm not just confining it to the building that the church is housed in. Because when the Bible speaks about the people of God and, and 
what we've come to understand the church to be. It's not in reference to a building, but rather a people. And as we build our conversation, I want you to build it around the mindset of not the building that is present, but rather the people that are in the room with you, because the people are what make up the church. You know, I just shared with our launch team, uh, the, the team that helps us, that helped us launch the church that still is, is functioning and, and making sure that you have an experience that, that you leave thinking is incredible and that you can encounter Jesus. And they help us do everything from the kids to the worship, to the lobby, to the signage, all that stuff. And I was sharing with them this morning, I said, the thing we have to remember is that we are in the people business. We are not in the designing of a, of a room business. We are not in the, you know, uh, you know, carpet business or the painting business or the technology business. Excuse me. But we are in the people business. And that's important because it's the people that Jesus died for. It's the people that Jesus came for. And I think it's important to remember that as we move forward as the church, the body of believers, that we have the capacity to change the world. Amen? Amen. So I want to read to you this morning out of Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, and I may have actually put the wrong reference. I did put the wrong references in. I'm sorry. Let me read it out of uh, my phone Bible because uh, typing very late at night uh, I don't always pay attention, so hang on one second. Now I understand why when I looked at it this morning, I'm like, that doesn't even make sense to me. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't enough for me to change it. <laughs> but anyways, so we have this story in Ephesians chapter 1 uh, where we have the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the Ephesian church, and these are what begin uh, what we call the epistles where Paul would begin writing these letters and uh, to, to Christians and believers. So when, when you read Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians, all of those, understand that the person that Paul is writing to is not to the unbeliever and not to the world, but rather he's writing to the church. He's writing to the Christian, the person who has found Jesus, and this is what he says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in one, in the one he loves." In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavishes on us with all wisdom and understanding. He may know to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to, put, uh, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on, each, uh, and on, and on earth under Christ. So Paul, in this <coughs> excuse me, chapter 1, verses 3 to 10, he's beginning to uh, communicate to the Ephesians that the church was always a part of God's plan. And when it begins to talk about the mysteries that were revealed, what he's referencing is the formation of the church. Among other things, he's communicating to them that God's intention was for, the, for all believers to have places and spaces to gather together so that worship could happen corporately so that those that are in need could, could have their needs met, that, that life could happen together. 
And so he goes on and he shares with them that, listen, God is Jesus. Through Jesus, we have all of these spiritual blessings. We have all of these provisions. We are all taken care of that it was because Jesus died that this is a reality and this is possible in our life this morning. Amen? Did you know that the Bible, when it speaks of the church, when Jesus talks about the church, he actually calls it his bride? Right? The church is the thing that Jesus is coming back for. Now listen, back in the day, back in Bible times, marriages were done quite a bit differently than they are now. All right? It was much easier to secure a wife back in the day than it is now. Dating apps didn't exist back then, right? There was no swiping right. There was no matching. There was no Christian mingle, right, which is fantastically funny, right? Like Christian, uh, never mind. Well, well, that'll be for another sermon, (laughs) right? But marriages were done differently back then. Here's how it would work, okay? Interested male, right, would bypass attractive young lady who he wants to be with and marry, and he would not really even make his intentions known to her, but rather he would go around her and he would go to that girl's father and he would sit down with her or with the father and he would say, father, I am very interested in your daughter and I would like to take her as my wife and I would, you know, I'll take care of her. I'll put all of those things. He would give the assurances that, that he is capable of providing for what would become his bride. And then they would agree upon a price. Some cost more, you know, six donkeys, four bags of flour. You know, there would be different price points with regard to each individual daughter that this man had, and they would agree upon the price. And I'm painting a picture for you this morning of why Jesus calls us his bride. And a price would be agreed upon. And then what would happen is the bride or the groom to be would pay this price, and then he would go he would go away, and he would begin to prepare the place which that, that his bride would then go live in with him. And this could take weeks, months, up to even a year at times, depending upon the work that needed to be done. And all the while, the girl would prepare herself and get herself ready for when the groom came. Okay? And then, at the agreed-upon time, the groom, with his wedding party, his family, would go to the, the bride's house. They would travel, and he would take the bride with him, and they would marry. And then there'd be about a seven-day party that would take place, and they would celebrate. What an interesting way to do marriage back in the day. And I tell you that this morning to paint the proper picture because Jesus is the groom and we are the bride. And Jesus paid for you and for me through his blood on Calvary. And then Jesus went away and he says in scripture, I go to prepare a place for you. 
And that's the picture we are left with. And the responsibility to us on the earth as the church is to prepare ourselves for his return. And when he comes, the Bible says that he comes riding on a white horse and he doesn't come alone. He comes with his closest friends. He comes with a lot of pomp and circumstance. What's he coming to do? He's coming to take his bride. What an incredible picture. And that's why Jesus loves the church because he sees it as his bride that he's coming back for. Does that make sense this morning? Amen. So we have this picture. Uh, I want to I share with you the formation of the church because I think, it's in, I think it's important to understand where we started and where the church established itself. So here's the story in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus is about to be taken into heaven. He has appeared on the earth after resurrection for 40 days, and he's about to be uh, taken up to heaven, or he's about to ascend to heaven, and he tells the disciples to go and tarry in Jerusalem until they are endued with power, the Bible says, from on high. And he says that you will be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the othermost parts of the earth. So they go, and they wait in what we call in Acts chapter 2, you've probably read it, uh, and if you haven't, I'm going to share it with you. But they go in, and we turn the page to Acts chapter 2, and they're waiting in this upper room for this thing that, that they're supposed to receive that is supposed to give them the power to change the world. And it says that on the day of Pentecost, they were all together in one accord. Then there came a sound like that of a rushing mighty wind. And the Bible says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. Right? And that was one of the most significant steps that the early believers took with regard to how they carried themselves after Jesus left. But there was more that took place. See, after that experience, Peter gets up and he preaches to them. And the Bible says that he preaches in a way that, the, that those listening are cut to the heart. This is all Acts chapter 2. And they're cut to the heart so much so that thousands of people, some say 3,000, some estimate over 5,000, not including women and children, so the number is exponentially higher, give their hearts to Christ that day. And then we have this last two verses in Acts chapter 2, 46 to 47. And this is what it says. This is following this experience on Pentecost. It says that day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. I will tell you this morning that Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2 highlights the formation of what we today called the church, a place for people of like-minded faith who could come together, who would share in life and community together, who could present their needs with not an ounce of judgment, but say, hey, look, I'm struggling here. I need your help here. Hey, I need help with this, or hey, can I help you with that? That they could have their needs, and because of that, they enjoyed the favor of their community. And as a byproduct, the Bible says that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What a powerful two verses of Scripture that leave us this idea of, man, we have something so powerful to be connected to, right? 
You can amen in here. I'm, even if you don't agree, it helps me feel like you care about me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So what I want to I do is I want to share with you a few things that the church is, and then I want to share with you what the church is not. Because I think it's important to understand what the church is or what it's supposed to be. Okay? Bless you. Amen. The first one is the church is a place of belonging. The church is a place of power and transformation. The church is a place of forgiveness and reconciliation. The church is a place of service and sacrifice. The church is a place of purpose and mission. The church is a place of learning and growing. And there's more. I just didn't want to make extra slides. And the last one this morning, I think the one that's most crucial on some levels, is the church is imperfect. It's the only entity that I know that imperfect people can come together to worship something perfect and the perfect thing not be turned off by the imperfections of those that are worshiping it. That sounds good. TBN will charge you 40 bucks for that. Daystar will charge you 50. Pastor Andrew at Warren Campus, that's free. But let's look at this really quickly. Listen, the church exists to create a community that you could say, you know what? I don't just feel like I attend a place, but rather I feel like the people that I attend it with are family to me that I can rely on, call on. I can be myself around, and I don't have to worry about judgment. That's what we want to be, right? The church is a place of power and transformation that when Jesus enters the atmosphere of our room, Right? Because he's a living and active God that the things that we're dealing with, struggling with, the issues of our life, the ailments of our life, the sicknesses, diseases, and all of those things can be dealt with because the God we serve is all-powerful. Right? Not only can he heal and deliver and suffer, he can transform our life through forgiveness and salvation. That's where we get forgiveness and reconciliation. That when we leave our sins with him, he forgives us. And not only does he forgive us, he forgets about them. The church exists to create an opportunity for you to serve the community in a way that shows them who Jesus is. You become Jesus with skin onto a community. So by simple acts of love and kindness, you say, you know what? Jesus is in me, and because he's in me, I love you. So let me love on you. Let me bless you. Let me meet your needs. Let me minister to you. Let me help you. That's where we get this idea of purpose and mission. That the, it is truly better to give than to receive. That the, a, a well-lived life is a life that is invested in others. Church is a place of learning and growing. Right? Johnny, from our story, needed a little learning and growing. But it's in that imperfection that we see the beauty and the grace and mercy of God. Because in spite of us, he uses us. In spite of us, he died for us. In spite of us, he purposes us. In spite of us, he provides, he blesses, he pours out his favor. Why? Because at the end of the day, he's a good father who has good things for his children. Amen? Amen? Let's move on for the sake of time. I want to tell you what the church is not. Because it's equally as important to understand that the church is a lot of things to you, but it is not everything. Or, or let me say it this way. Uh, there are some things that we need to reshape our thinking around about what the church is to be. Amen? 
Let's go through it. The church is not a building. I think we covered that well this morning in the opener. The church is the people, right? The church is not a few songs and a really, really good sermon. That's right. <laughs> Just, there we go. Thank you. I'm totally kidding. I'm not. Thank you. <laughs> The church is not a social club for just Christians, right? The church is not a tradition. The church is not a self-help program. I will expound on that in a moment. The church is not a denomination. We are the assemblies of God. That is not the church. And the church is not how you get to heaven. See, understanding what the church is is vital because we know what we can expect attending it. We know what we can expect when we commit to it. We know what we can expect when we say, you know what, I want to be a part of this community, this family, this building, this body, or whatever else you choose to call it. But it's equally as important this morning that we understand what the church is not. Because when you understand what the church is not, you can temper your expectations in the right way, and you're not left wondering and wanting and longing for something that the church was never intended to offer. Amen? See, listen, the church is not just this building. Because there's going to come a time in the next six to eight months where we don't have enough room in this building anymore. I'm that optimistic about where we're going as a campus and of the growth that we're seeing and the people that we're reaching that I believe that in the next six to eight months, we're going to be looking at how do we, how do we fit everybody in here? Amen. That's just not optimism. That's just where I believe that God is taking us, right? The church is not just what you do Sunday mornings at 10, 15, where you hear some worship songs, you watch a few videos, you give some money, and you hear a sermon, and you respond. That's, not the, that's the portions of the church or the portions of the service that we would say help uh, aid you in your weekly pursuit of God, but that's not the purpose that the church exists, Right? The church is not just the social club for Christians. Listen, the goal, <coughs> excuse me, is that we don't just gather and everybody here is, says, I love Jesus and we're all good, but that we see people coming in regularly that need to know Jesus. Amen. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes that's messy. Sometimes that's risky. Sometimes the baggage that comes with that is hard to deal with. But it's what Jesus wants from us, Right? It's not a tradition. We're not just Christmas and Easter people, right? It's not just a denomination. It's not a self-help program, although portions of the in living in community with others uh, provide some of that. And let me, let me kind of take that a little bit further this morning. The church is not a 10-step program with regard to do X, Y, and Z and your life will get better. That's what life coaching does. Rather, the church is a transformational experience that the longer we stay connected to it, Jesus says that I am the vine, you are the branches, right? As we stay plugged into the source, our life begins to transform. I'd love to say I could list you 12 things right now, and if you walk out all 12 things, things will get better and change for you. But the reality is, is if you do those 12 things apart from Jesus, then you'll cycle your way through them and find your way back to where you were before. But when you interject Jesus into the shifts that you're trying to make in your life and you get connected to a source that says, you know what, I'm alive and I'm active and I have a plan for you and I have a destiny for you and I have a purpose for you that you may not understand yet, but if you'll stay connected to it, then you'll see the change in your life that you're after. That's why the church isn't a self-help program, although counseling and aspects of that are seen every day in the church. Does that make sense? 
Rick Warren said this of the church. He says, he being Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, created the church to meet your five deepest needs. This is what he says. A purpose to live for, uh, people to live with, principles to live by, a profession to live out, and power to live on. There is no other place on earth where you can find all five of these benefits in one place. And it's incredibly true. The church, the body of believers, the family of God positions you with purpose, with a people, with a way of life, with an opportunity, and with a power that you can't get anywhere else. I would tell you this morning to separate the imperfectness of the people of the church from the God of the church. I wish I could take the time to tell you all of the stories. Ah, let me not do that. There we go. All of the stories I've heard growing or in my time as a pastor about how, why people leave churches. And most of them center around the idea that somebody somewhere hurt them along the way. And I don't devalue or, or invalidate what someone's experience was because it's theirs and it's real to them. But what I would tell you and what I've told people countless times is that's not the church. That's just one individual of the church. And when God calls you to a place, he wants you to plant roots in that place. And sometimes that's difficult. Sometimes people are just dumb. They say stupid things. They do stupid things. You know, I, I wish I could, you know, when I was, my, my first few years of pastoring, the pastor I worked for who became my spiritual father, uh, his wife became my spiritual mother, they would tell me stories about how people used to get so up in arms when, when pastors would, would want to paint certain rooms of a church certain colors. There'd be meetings and committee meetings and, and people would come to the church and they'd bring swatches and some people would even bring paint samples and they would go in those rooms and they'd roll like a third of the wall just so the pastor could see it. And then when the pastor didn't pick their paint color of choice, they would leave the church over it. And what you'll discover is there's some people that are just looking for an out and that's okay. At the end of the day, what I, was, what I always came to understand growing up is if someone ever wants to leave the church, you make it easy for them to leave. You don't guilt them. You don't judge them because you make it easy for when they want to come back. Amen. Amen. I want to give you one more thought this morning. I want to share something really cool. I'll tell you this morning that great communion leads to great com uh, commission. Great communion leads to great commission. Listen, the church is the hope of the world. That's what the Bible teaches. And here's what happens. As we gather in community with one another and in communion with God, we are empowered and emboldened to reach others because we want them to have the same experience we've had when it came to finding Christ and joining a family. Right? So as we commune not just with Jesus but with one another, right? We are empowered to go reach people so that they can come into the family of God and be a part. Amen? Amen. Just make sure I got to, yeah, I did. Okay, cool.
just trying to see what I want to go next. So one of the things that we did when we were investigating planning a church was we started taking a look at what do people want in a church in 2022? Not that you tailor everything to what people want because that would be dumb. No offense. It just can't, it's not, you, everybody's going to want something different, and if we try to do it all, we won't get any of it done well. But we took a look nationally, statistically, what do people in 2022 want, or what do, I should say it this way, what do they look for when choosing a church? And I would love to tell you this morning, and it's probably true, just maybe not said, but the thing they want the most is the encounter with God. They know they need it, but they just don't rank it up there yet. They probably realize it, but they don't mention it, which is fine. But the thing they say the most with regard to what factors into their choice of a church, it's not as much as what the building looks like, even how good or bad or, or in between the worship is or the preaching. That one's good. <laughs> That's right, I'm all about self-confidence. <laughs> just, I'm kidding. What they choose or what they look for is a strong sense of community. The second thing they look for is to connect to something that is bigger than themselves. They want to be a part of a mission that that they know they can't accomplish on their own. Thank goodness the church exists because that's what we live to do. Because the things that God puts in our heart are rarely, are we rarely able to accomplish them on our own. But when he helps us, There's nothing we can't accomplish. Amen? Amen? So they want this strong sense of community. And looking back at my life and looking back at the ministry I've done, I can agree that that's what people are looking for. And the beautiful thing is I believe we already have a place for people to gather where they can experience a powerful life change with Jesus. I think that exists here right now. But what doesn't exist what I'm going to announce to you and, and share with you for the next few minutes is if, unless you've been hiding under a rock, and I know you haven't, you, can, you know that uh, the lobby out there is about three feet wide. <laughs> it doesn't say, come, grab some coffee and hang out, right? It doesn't say, come, share life together and spend time together, right? Because Jesus is watching, Right, we got some stained glass Jesus right there, right? And, and if you come in too late, you come in too late, it's just not feasible for that. So what we've decided to do and what I want to share with you, what I'm excited about is we are going to, I don't know if you've noticed, but we actually do have our own driveway and we have a garage. Yeah, there, sorry. Totally directionally challenged. There, and we have a garage that sits in the back. Uh, how many of you knew this? That knew we had that? All right, good. I, I was telling someone about it, like, you have a driveway? Yes. You have a garage? I guess it is it back. Yeah, that would be it. <laughs> Directionally talking. So what we're going to do is, and what, what we're excited about doing as we take the next steps in reaching people. Remember, this is all designed to reach people for Jesus. What we're going to do is we're going to renovate not just this patio, but we're going to turn that driveway into a patio where people can come, hang out, spring, summer, fall, and chill before church, before after. We can do events and stuff out there. And then here in the next week or so, we're going to start a renovation project on that garage. And we're going to take that garage and we're going to gut it 
And we're going to turn it into a place that you can come and that you can bring people to where you can hang out, you can grab coffee, you can relax, you can, you can share life with someone, you can share your story with someone, you can sit and not feel like you're in the way because our lobby is three inches wide and you can connect. These are just some ideas of what it could look like. It probably won't end up looking with these colors, but this is what it's going to look like. And if you want to bring some paint swatches and paint in there, I can't, listen, I can't guarantee I'll pick your color, <laughs> but, you know, no promises, but we are going to take that, and we are just going to put in some things where you can come early, stay late, and really feel like this is a place that you can spend time in. It'll have internet. It'll have a TV out there. Uh, so when we do get to the place where we need overflow, we can cast the service that's in here out to there. But all of that is going to be happening in the next few months, or in the next month and a half, actually, because here's the deal. Just to give you a little insight into how my mind works, our goal is to launch into this space Easter Sunday, April 17th. Because there is no other space, or there's no other holiday in the world where unbelievers will come to church. And so we want to create that opportunity for them to connect, to grab coffee, to hang out. There'll be people in there to, to kind of facilitate, just say, hey, welcome to Rock of Grace Warren. We're going to tie it into the building here with some pavers and some work. We'll have some yard games out there just to say, hey, not as, is this just a place where you show up at 1015 and you leave at 1130? or whenever the guy gets done talking. Because sometimes I'm a little long. But that you can be a part here. And then what we're doing, and I'm going to give you the invite today, but we'll, we'll, we'll put this out in a more formal way. The following week after Easter, the 24th, is we're going to have an official ribbon-cutting ceremony with the Trumbull County Chamber of Commerce. And we've got the giant scissors in the, in the you know, ribbon, right? <laughs> I've, I've wanted to hold a pair of giant scissors my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's like a dream. And I know, right? And we're going to gather after that service. Our, our lead pastor, Pastor Jordan, will be here uh, that morning. Some of our trustees from Kinsmen will be here. And as a congregation, we're going to gather on those steps out there. The news will be here. And we are going to officially uh, cut that ribbon and say, hey, Warren Champion, we're here. And following that moment, we're going to invite the entire church to a cookout on our lawn and in our driveway and all those spaces. Because here's what I've come to know. The longer that people feel like they can stay at your campus or at your church and make a connection with somebody, the more likely they are to stay and get involved in the overall life of the church. And if you remember, we're talking all, we've talked all month about being connected forever. We talked about our neighbor. We've talked about our families and our marriages. We've talked about being reconciled to the people that have hurt us through forgiveness. And now we're going to put feet to that. I want you to love the church. But don't look at, for us to be perfect. Don't look for me to be perfect because I will disappoint you severely. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> well done. Let's... <laughs> Timing is everything on that. I'm a former youth pastor, and what that should tell you about me is I have a tendency to insert foot and mouth because I spent the last 12 years hanging out with teenagers every day of my life that have a real bad habit of inserting foot and mouth. <laughs> so uh, 
I say that to tell you this morning, I am so blessed and honored that we're nine weeks in. And uh, Tom, if you want to come. My air guitar skills. Right? We're nine weeks in, and I'm just honored to say, you know, I'm your campus pastor, whatever that means to you, whatever, you know. Uh, if you'd have asked me when I was a 13-year-old kid that felt called to ministry, if, if, if this would have been a reality, I would have laughed at you <laughs> because I didn't see a way for this to be real. If you'd asked me about my childhood and my, my family experience and, and all of the kind of the hurdles that existed along the way, if you'd asked me if this would have been reality in 2022, and I would, I would have told you there's no way. But I can look at you in the eye this morning and say, if it wasn't for the people of God and the family of God, I probably wouldn't be here today. And I, there, there are names even right now running through my head that were so instrumental in my Christian experience that, that helped turn me into, you know, in, in part the man I've become and the leader I've become and all of those different things. And I just want to tell you that I want you to be here. I want you to be a part. I want you to grow here. I want you to, you know, if you don't have kids and there are, I want you to raise your kids here. You know, I, I want you to find purpose here. I want you to get involved here. I want you to grow here. I want you to laugh here. I want you to cry here. I want to pray with you at this altar. I want to, you know, I want to dedicate your children. I want to baptize you if you've never been baptized. I want, I want to play a role to the level you're comfortable. My family wants to be a part of your family. So let me pray for you this morning. I'm going to let you out of here. If you have any questions about the renovation, uh, feel free to hit me up, email me, call me, grab me. Let's grab coffee together. I like coffee. I have to hide the fact that it's coffee with a lot of flavors. I'll tell you real quick, I just had coffee with someone on Friday, and I'm not a man when it comes to coffee. The gentleman that I, I, I took out, or that actually ended up taking me out because he bought, uh, he's like, I'll take a coffee, like a regular cup of coffee. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> he's like, what do you want, Pastor Henry? I was like, we're at the Mocha house. And uh, they have this uh, <laughs> chocolate-covered strawberry dip latte. <laughs> right? So he's like, I'll take just a regular cup of coffee. And I look at the girl who's taking over. I was like, I'll take a chocolate-covered dip strawberry latte. <laughs> Hot. And it's, you would think that, you know, maybe they would put it in like a normal cup that you can't see through now. They put it in a glass mug. <laughs> so the whole world knew I was drinking, you know, latte. <laughs> right? I don't know why I told you that, but you're welcome. <laughs> Let's pray together. I'm on some cold meds, so that could be it. <laughs> Father, we love you so much. I thank you for this, this group of people. But I want to be connected to them. I, I hope they feel connected to this, to one another. I hope they feel like this is a place they can belong. Lord, that they could, they could say that this is home even. Lord, I pray your blessings on them today. I pray your hands of peace and protection over them. I pray your, your care and your, your spirit go before them, that you love on them. I just speak life into them today. We're not perfect. We won't be perfect. But we want to be a place that pleases you. Lord, help us to be what we're supposed to be and not be what we're not supposed to be. Lord, help us to reach the lost in this city. Help us to grow in our faith. Lord, help us to love one another, to help meet the needs of others, to help be a blessing to others. We celebrate you today, Jesus. 
In your name we pray. Church, you said? Amen. Amen. Guys, I love you so much. I'm honored that you uh, have chosen to worship with us. uh, just a couple quick reminders. If you're a guest or haven't done it, maybe you've been here a couple weeks, if you could fill out that guest card for us, that'd be fantastic. You can turn it in the back. Also, we, uh, we, some. If you enjoyed today's message, there are a couple things I would love for you to do. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. You can also help us reach others by investing today by going to give.rockofgrace.org. And thanks again for joining us on the Rock of Grace Warren podcast. <laughs>